0: I was so bummed out after last week. I was like, oh, we went green, like, big time. We even, like, celebrate it together. You know, we did good. This is going to be our last Sunday on this series, The Source, our last Sunday. I think it's been really good. From what I've heard, it's been really good for a lot of people. I mean, including myself, just... I like how God has been challenging and uh, equipping, encouraging. I very much appreciate it. So let's open up in prayer for our last Sunday that we're going to spend focusing on him as the source. So Father, we thank you um, for how you truly are the source of all things. Not only just money and resources, but life itself. For all things. You speak and things happen. Um, At your word, you create things. And so, by your word and by your hand, Lord, all things are able and possible. And we just thank you, Lord, that we can be in relationship with you. And it's your heart's desire to have us experience the source part of your nature to have us experience your generous hand, to have us experience your abundant provision, to have us experience contentment no matter the season that we're in, to have us experience a trust and a faith in you that exceeds bank account numbers, relationship highs and lows, that exceeds all things, Lord. And so I thank you that for each of us that just call ourselves children of you. That there is a great plan in place, a great work going on. And I pray that in our hearts and our minds, we'd be committed to partnering with the work that you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So this Sunday, the source, last one. Testing, Right? Everybody likes that word testing. Everybody loves it. You think of the word test and you think of school. You think of scantrons. Think of pencils. Think of red ink. And probably nothing brings a smile to your face more than testing and tests. Think about the cramming before the exams. Ugh all the notes and everything, and you're just hoping you're going to do it. And probably, if you're like a lot of people, you didn't do the studying you should have been, and you're just hoping that you just make it happen somehow. And if you're like a lot of people, you probably didn't do the work on the front end, so now on the back end, as soon as the test is here, it's like, oh, God, help me now. And God's like, hey, you should have asked me along the way. I would have helped you. I made this day really easy for you. And we all have our reasons about why sometimes we don't. And then there's another group that are, might have been super anxious and OCD about every single little assignment that has ever been given out or passed out. And then come test day, they should really be confident, but they're like neurotically nervous that they might get a 98. So there's different people and different attitudes and different situations when it comes to testing. But I wanted to take just a, a few minutes this morning talking about testing in regards to our idea of the series the source because this is a necessary say necessary it's a necessary and integral say integral it's a necessary and integral part of the process of understanding and living from the source testing is necessary it has to happen and God has set it up So that it definitely does happen. And it's not like one test or two tests, and they're not even normally announced ahead of time. They just show up. And God says that they will come, and you could use the terms, um, you know, difficult seasons, challenges, stretching, storms. That's all kind of the idea of testing, just difficult situations that will come along and that will happen. And God never said, when you become a Christian, hey, listen, like you get less of those. So when you become a Christian and you follow me, I actually, I might get ramped up. But I promise to be with you and help carry you through every step of the way. And He doesn't even say, when they come, I'll just get rid of them for you. Right? What He'll say is, I will stand with you right by your side, right in the middle of it. So I won't even maybe necessarily get rid of it, but I will promise to stand right by your side so you can see that the power of my presence is more powerful and more securing and more beneficial than if I just got rid of your problem right now. Because the main issue for us, for myself, is that we are in relationship, that we are connected that we are close to, that we are around his presence. Because when his presence comes, it changes everything. Not just our minds and our perspective, but it even change, it goes beyond that. It can change the people around a situation. It can change the mindsets and the hearts around it. How does that happen? I don't know. It's just the way God does things. And so much of the battle for us is being around his presence, connecting his heart, welcoming his presence. And it's true, whenever there's two or three gathered or more in his name, there he is. And that's true. And he's always around. But, because he's always around doesn't necessarily mean we are keenly aware of it, that we can really sense, see it, or feel it, that we are confident that he's actually in our midst. And so much of our work is to, you know, ask God for his presence, for him to show up, for him to overwhelm us, for him to really touch a situation. And this idea of testing is really necessary because when we're talking about this idea of the source, step one, very basic level, understanding is, okay, God is the source of all things in life, He's looking for me to be in a relationship with him and to live from him. That's step one. And to get there, mentally, is very good. We Like, you have to get there. Right? You have to. And once you get there, what God has to then do, he has to, what he does is he then says, okay, I am glad that you're saying it. I'm glad that you're thinking of it. There's some level of belief If you're thinking it and saying it. And now he says, Listen, I want to see if this is actually really the case. I want to see if that's really true. So God sets up things in life. We'll call them tests so that it can really reveal who we are. See, we're used to tests, and you take them at school or you take them you know, at the DMV or taking wherever. Tests, usually, they show what you know. When it comes to God and testing, it reveals who you are. That's a very different assessment slash test-taking strategy. Because most of us, we're all very familiar with, somebody teaches you or just gives you a whole bunch of information, you do the best that you can to memorize it, to spit it back to them, and then just try and have it as fresh as you can in your head when you take the test. And then you take it, and then probably four months later you forgot all of it. And that's kind of the model of what's what we're used to when it comes to testing and information. And God is saying, knowledge and information is important. But he's saying, hey, listen, it's not important for a Scantron written test so you can shout out the right answer in a Sunday school class or in a Bible study. He's saying it's important for that information to then become exactly who you are. And so that's the idea of testing. And it's encouraging to know that when God puts a test in our lives and when he allows tests to happen, um, that he's not excited to give us a failure. Like some teachers, they get really excited about throwing that F on the paper. Or you get some, like teachers and professors, they can't get an A in my class. Nobody gets an A. Nobody does it absolutely perfect. It's nice to know that God's heart is very different when it comes to tests. He's got a loving heart. He has a good heart. He allows the tests come into our lives. He knows when the time is best. He knows like where we're at and what's going on. But He also loves us way too much to let us stay comfortable where we are. Do you understand that would be a big problem for myself and for you to just stay in one place, one kind of level of faith for an extended period of time. That's going to be a problem. Because as Keith just prayed, and as we just sang about, there's a really good plan. An extremely loving and just destiny-driven purpose that's on your life. It's on my life. It's on anybody. Who believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior? A destiny-driven purpose, a good plan. So it's for Levon, it's for Michael, right? It's for Justin. Like there's a like there's an, an overarching narrative and plan that's already in motion. It's already happening. As you sit here, as I'm here, it's happening. And it's already been figured out and determined. And the battle is for us to draw from the source and from the narrative that has set it up so we can enter into that plan, into the fullness of it. Everybody say fullness. We've heard that word a lot during these like past five weeks or so. And the reason is because like a lot of times we try to get out of stuff and skirt out of things and ask God to just fix stuff and make it happen without experiencing the fullness of who he is. Because the fullness will set us up. It will set us up, long term, to be extremely successful with him. So this idea of the source and testing. and honestly, the best passage that I could think of when it comes down to recognizing the source and testing uh, is one person and one situation. And so I just want to uh, read that with you guys this morning, all right? Genesis 22. You might already be there. And before we look at Genesis chapter 22, put your finger on Genesis 17, because it really starts there. And we're not reading both passages in both chapters. We're going to read all of 22, but just two verses of 17. So Old Testament, book of Genesis... And again, as we're reading through this morning and talk about things in the back of your mind, know that uh, God's tests are not intended to showcase what we know, but to reveal who we are. All right? Not intended to showcase what we know, but reveal who we are. Okay? All right, so let's check it out. Genesis 17. And let me say one other note before I dive in here. Um, as we look at this idea of testing and the source, there's two names of God that we're just going to center on and talk about today. One of them is El Shaddai. We say El Shaddai. El Shaddai. And the other one is Jehovah Jireh. So Michael talked about Jehovah Jireh, and we didn't coordinate that. He's just, that's him doing his thing. And then we have El Shaddai and Jehovah Jireh. And the reason why we talk about those names and we think about those names, and we pay attention to them, is because, number one, the Bible has those names written that way. In Hebrew, that's what those words are. God is referred to with a lot of different specific words through the Bible, in Hebrew and Hebrew. That's a new thing. Hebric. That's all you heard today for some people, but in the Old Testament is Hebrew, right? New Testament, Greek, and so. In the Old Testament Hebrew, there's a lot of very specific names for God. And the purpose of the names is that they show and they demonstrate, they refer to part of God's nature. So his name points to a part of his nature. In other words, it'd be kind of silly and difficult, be very difficult if you try to think of one word that describes. God in his complete entirety, right? It would be very difficult. Try to think of one word that describes God and all that he is and all his attributes. Good luck with that. That's not happening, right? And the Bible couldn't really do well with that either. So there's different names. So El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh. Okay, so we're going to come in contact with both of those. So here we go. Genesis 17. A lot of people like Genesis 17. What we're going to look at, not a lot of people like Genesis 22. Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old. He's old, right? Everybody say old. He's old. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. In other words, he said, I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai. What that means is, I am Almighty and Most Powerful. El Shaddai means I am Almighty and Most Powerful. So he comes to this guy, Abram. says, hey, Abram. I like the uh, exclamation point he's got in there. Um, I am God Almighty. I'm able to do anything. Anything. El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. Almighty, most powerful. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And so basically, God shows up to Abram and says, hey, I'm almighty. I can do all things. I'm going to greatly increase who you are. And let's go down a little bit further. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you, and your descendants after you, I will be their God. That's a crazy promise. That would be awesome if tonight, like, God showed up and he said this to you. Say, listen, I'm going to make you so numerous. This land that's over there, whatever land you're thinking about, I'm just going to give it to you. You're going to possess it. I'm going to be their God. They're going to be my people. I'm going to do amazing things with them. I'm literally transforming your entire family line right now. It's happening. That's the destiny that's upon your life and about the people coming from you. He's 99 years old. His wife is 90 years old. They have no children. And God just didn't sort of like say something a little weird. That's a lot weird. And very crazy. And if you're into promises over your life and what God says about you, I mean, that's kind of a good word right there. Say, amen, God, yes. I claim it. I claim your inheritance on my life. I claim that land. All the good things that you want to do, how you want to increase my family, yes. Amen. Amen, God, I knew you were good. Amen. Right? And it's also very similar to the promises that we have in Jesus Christ. He's promised to give us peace. He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He's promised, <coughs> excuse me, to never have our sin count against us in relationship with Him. He's promised for His grace to cover our lives if we choose to live in it. He's promised to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And the list is longer. It's just all I got for right now. Man, that's, those, like, amen. Yes, 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 amen. A big part of how this whole relationship with God thing works is, number one, he says something. Number two, we believe it. We receive it. Have to. That's why it's so important to be into our Bibles and to be in the Word. Because in this case, God came to him and talked to him, he didn't do it through the Bible, wasn't around yet. And it doesn't say how God talked to him. If it was audible, if he was in the room, he pushed him down the field and then said it to him, you know, I have no idea how he did it. Honestly, there's a big part of me, there's no Bible proof to this, so don't. But I think that honestly, there was just something that's just resounding in his mind and in his heart. He's like, what is that? what is that? I think kind of that's the way it went. Maybe it didn't go that way. So the promises. A lot of people like Genesis 17. They like everything that's true within Jesus. Now, don't miss this. In order to see the manifestation, big church word, say manifestation. Yeah, that just means like it happens in reality. It's just because it's true spiritually and because God says it doesn't mean it became manifest and actually happened. You with me? God said it true and because God said it it'll last forever and it makes it truth but it doesn't mean that it now happened in the real here and now. It just means that the table is set, everything's on there, the money's in the account. It's ready. But it doesn't mean it actually happened. And that's where we come into play. That's where we come into play. Because heaven, God, God has it set up to where he says, okay, have that happen on earth like it is in heaven. Become close to my heart. Know where my heart is on this. Know who I am. Stand in faith on what I've already declared and said is true. Don't budge, don't budge. Don't get sidetracked. Stay on it. Because if you can, if you can persevere, if you can patiently persevere, wait well during the hard seasons, rejoice with humility and thanksgiving to God during the good ones, we're going to see manifestation of what he already said was true, but we haven't really seen it, tasted it, and felt it yet with our hands. And that's where the calling is on my life and on your lives. That's where it gets difficult, right? Because we know God can do anything. He's sovereign. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. But he chooses to do a lot of the work that he does here on this earth by being in relationship and partnership with us. I hope that we want to like step up to that and just respond. And it doesn't mean be perfect. That means being spiritly, spiritly. Man, I'm just making up words today. Unbelievable means we've got to be spiritually dependent upon his nature, upon his word as being close to his heart. All right, guys, so here we go. Now, Genesis 22 happens because of Genesis 17. The word, the promises, they're there. They're in place. The table is set. Like I said, the money's in the account. The check is written. It's all good. But God says, hey, listen, ah, we're not going to actually see that one made manifest and have it happen until we do this test. Because until, you got to get this test right. Now Abraham, he was Abram, now Abraham, right? Change his name. So Abraham, I did say that. That is my plan. But I have to make sure, Abraham, that you are in the right place that you need to be in your heart, in your mind, in your character, and in your faith. You hear me on this? Your heart, your mind, your character, and your faith. Those things like they're not cheap, it's not like they sort of matter to God, those are top priority. I promise you and I tell you this, it's top priority. Our heart, our mind, our character, our faith. These are very, that's like extremely valuable currency in the kingdom life. God wants to spend a lot of time to make sure it's at a particular level because He wants to bring about, make manifest what He said is already going to happen. So God brings about 22 and He says, Hey listen, I want to do what I said in 17, but we got to, we got to make sure that I know you're saying it and you believe what I said and that's good, but I got to make sure you really believe it. Because God knows when we really believe something and if it's actually really true, when we actually do it when we actually do it. So that's why somebody can say, oh, I love you, and I love that, and I love... He can say all the stuff that you want. But if nothing actually ever gets done to actually prove whatever you're saying, it's like, it's lip service, right? Everybody knows about lip service. And nobody likes lip service, including God. And that lip service can paralyze us. And in a culture, and in a church sort of setup where there's such a premium, and there's so much attention drawn to how somebody can say something a particular way, and people just flock to people who are really charismatic, that are really influential, they just want to hear that and be around it. I really hope those same people are the same, like, doing it as they are about they're saying it. That's really important. That's why some of the most powerful testimonies some of the most powerful sermons I've ever been around or heard, some of the most powerful Bible studies, are not ones that were super eloquent, that were really strong in vocabulary, that had a nice progressive flow, great transitions, you know, all the stuff they tell you to do. They were the ones that were just actually coming from their hearts. And there's no denying that they had been with God on this particular idea. And it was like a done deal in their life. Those ones, like you remember. like You just remember. And you're not so much drawn to the speaker, whoever's delivering it, you're drawn to the God that was behind it. You with me? Because we can just put people on platforms and on pedestals and be like, oh, to be like them, and oh, to sing like that, and oh, to talk like them, and to do that. And it's like, they draw from the source. Will you stop doing that? It's like, I made them, and that's the way I do it with them, but I have something that I do with you, and it's going to look... A whole other way. Be who I made you to be. You're destined to be who I made you to be. So live in it and do it. And it's very difficult to do that if we're not close to his heart. Almost impossible. All right, let's check it out. Here comes the test, okay? I'm not going to go as slowly through that as I did the other part, but here we go. Oh, yeah, we got a clock now. I forgot. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sometime later. Everybody say sometime later. Yeah, God speaks a word, He makes it true, and then sometime later, God brings up a little test. It's like, God, tell me when. When's that day the thing's going to show up where I really need to get in gear because then I will really pay attention? That's right. And God's like, hey, listen, really pay attention? Every day. Try that. Every day, really pay attention. Don't just wait to when you think it might happen. Pop quiz. Yes, God loves the pop quizzes. So sometime later, God tested Abraham he said to him, Abraham! Oh, there's the exclamation point. I said it was in the other one. Sorry about that. Here it is. So he's yelling at him. Here I am, he said. Then God said, Take your son, your only son. So he got a son, right? Remember, he was 99. Wife was 90. You're going to have all these descendants, be so numerous. They had no kids. He ends up getting a son. Only one, though. He didn't get, like, a whole bunch. But still, like, if I'm Abraham, I'm like, well, he said, like, something radical. All these people and descendants. I only got one kid. How's that going to happen? I'd probably even still be sort of like, eh. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. That was a mountain there. That's where way Jerusalem is now. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Pause. This is ridiculous. I mean, this is so... This is so far removed. Like so far from who God is and his nature and like how he operates. He's saying go sacrifice your child. No. God never says that. That's not how he operates. He doesn't do that stuff. But he tells it to Abraham. I don't think he tells that to anybody. I think this is one unique time he's ever said it for a particular reason, which we're going to learn about. And if you've read ahead, you already know. He says, hey, go take him there. Go sacrifice him. The very thing that your wife and you wanted so badly and the thing that I declared I would do through him, I'm going to take it away now. So I gave you what you so badly wanted on your heart, but now I'm going to take it away. it's just rough all the way around, right? I mean, you can't, I don't, I wish we had Abraham here so we could really see like what was going on inside the man. It's just so confusing. So listen, don't be surprised when, when, and I'm preaching to myself too, right? When myself, when you, you're in extremely confusing situations in your life. In fact, it seems like opposite of really who God is. Don't be surprised cuz sometimes he operates like that. And I wouldn't be quick to say oh this is definitely not God. He wouldn't do this kind of thing. Yeah. Really? I don't know. Crazy request sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. This is crazy to me. Verse 3, those first four words is crazy to me. Early the next morning. Early the next morning. A ridiculous request from God, completely out of his nature, Not, doesn't at all line up with really who he is. <coughs> and this man, Abraham, says, okay, early the next morning, putting into motion what God already said to do. Regardless of the ridiculous request. I, I'm just kind of blown away by that, to be honest with you. I'd want to fight with God a little bit longer than the next morning. At least ask him some more. This, are you sure this is what you're saying? Give me some confirmation first. Have somebody else say it in my life. Like, make a song, come on, about a mountain and a boy or... Have somebody from the mountain come to my house and come talk to me, like something. I mean, God, this is this is crazy. Like what you're saying doesn't even seem like you. Abraham goes early the next morning, (sighs) right? And that's about something crazy. So you know that man was faithful in the small things. Amen. He was faithful just in the small things. He's moving on this. He's moving in a little, and that's just a part of who he is. And so, for so many of us, we can't even move in a little. Oh my gosh, God! You want to like hang out with me for fifteen minutes today? I have articles to read, shopping to do, chores to get done. He's like, Ugh. he's like, you're clearly not understanding like how I operate and the way I use people. There's a destined-driven plan on your life and a purpose and a good work. I want you to be in it. I want it to be on your mind. I want to equip you. And it's not like a one-hit thing, like, you got to stay close to me. And you can see part of that in Abraham right here and there early the next morning. It was settled for that man. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And typically... I'll get to that in a minute. (coughs) When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about, Mount Moriah. Jerusalem today. It's interesting. Today, right now, Mount Moriah is a big Muslim mosque right there, right in Jerusalem. Verse 4. On the third day, is any of this interesting to you? My one and only son, I'm going to sacrifice him. He's carrying wood up a hill third day. Yeah, so it's like there's something uniquely very interesting to this situation to another one and only son who went up a hill, wood on his back, rose on the third day. Right? Yeah. It wasn't by accident. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Look at this phrase. We will worship and then we will come back to you. We will worship and then we will come back to you. I mean, Abraham is describing this crazy act of obedience. It's described as worship. It's described as worship. Giving up what he really wants. It's worship. Did you hear what I said there? Giving up like what he really wanted. I mean, don't, wouldn't be crazy to think, wouldn't be crazy to think that there are things in Jared's life that I want, have goals and ambitions that God even put there? He's going to say, hey listen, at some point in time I might like take that back or at least appear to take that back. And uh, you've got to be okay with that. Because when you do it, you're going to be doing it in faith when you let me have it back. That's, that's called worshiping. Many times we think of singing and worshiping, and, and a lot of times it is. A lot of times, a lot of singing has nothing to do with worship. It's just a really nice performance. Much of worship is like made up of giving up things that you want a relationship that did you really want and saying no no give it back to me i promise you they will come back around the right way right a job a person a particular situation a particular house right it's whatever it is things we want it Was worship that's the way he's looking at it we're going to go worship god he asked me to do something crazy I love you, son, but I don't love you more than God. I love that parenting technique, by the way. If the kids are at the center of the parent's life, it's a big problem. If their world revolves around the kids, if my world revolves around Jerry, Judson, and Jericho, I'm not stepping up and being a good dad. I am not. They need a huge part of my life. Don't get me wrong. And I want to give them all that I've been called to. But I need to give them the dad that God wants me to be. And I don't do that on my own. I have to model to my kids who the boss is. Right? Mommy and daddy, we go to the real king and to the real boss. We meet and hang out with him and then we, try, we give you like what he gives us. That's the way parenting is supposed to work. I love how Abraham does it here. He loves his son. Don't, is one and only. As far as that infringing on what God asks him to do, he's not budging there. And so sometimes I'm going to have to give up time with my kids. It's not because I don't love them. I was talking to somebody not too long ago, like, oh, you know, you should be doing, you know, it was a day I was, I think I was doing quiet time or going somewhere doing something. I was like, listen, my goal in life is not to spend every waking second with my kids. That's not the barometer of how God's going to judge how well I'm parenting. I need to hang out with God for a little, especially whatever the day that was. I need to hang out with God right now today for some period of time so I have something to bring back to my kids. So again, Kids are amazing, they're a blessing, they matter, they're important. But you got to focus on God first. Like, that's priority. And then we parent from that. We give from that. We speak to them from that. Because there's way too much parenting going around that the parent, kids are just the center. I'll just drop everything for my kids all the time, whenever. And I was like, really? When was the last time you just dropped something you just for God? Like, just giving him the best of your heart. Maybe you couldn't hang out with your kids or grandkids or whoever for a period of time. It was really funny. I heard, um, you guys have heard of Focus on the Family before? It's a Christian ministry. They talk a lot about, you might be interested, you should check it out, Focus on the Family. And they talk about all kinds of different family dynamics. And one episode I was listening to Francis Chan, he's a you know, popular speaker guy, he was on there and he goes, uh, <coughs> they just brought him on. Hey, and we have Francis Chan joining us right now. And he's going to talk about whatever they're talking about. And um, there's uh, James Dobson. He goes, hey, tell us a little bit about your experience with folks on the family, what you think about it, blah, blah, blah. The first thing he said, I thought was pretty funny. He goes, he goes man, he goes, he goes, I love this ministry. I want you guys to do for families. He said... He said, it's helped me a lot. He said, I know a lot of people have been blessed by it. He said, uh, he said, honestly though, he said, I feel like uh, focus on the family is a little misleading. He said, I think it should really be focused on God and then it gets to the family. You know what I mean? And uh, and the producers of this show, they were really cool about it. Like you could tell they weren't arrogant. They weren't weird about that. They're so like, well, yeah, you know, you're right. Like that actually is, you know, a really good idea. And, uh, but it's really interesting just He just started like the interview and that's already where he was. That was very interesting to me. So anyways, side note. I digress. Here we go. All right. Uh, uh, We're going to go worship. Verse six. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac. He's probably around 13, 14 at the time. He's not a little kid. So it says something about Isaac too. He's like honoring his dad. Being completely confused. I don't even understand this situation. I mean, how old's Ian? 13, 13, right? Rob takes him up on a hill. Uh, (laughs) It says, and he carried uh, himself, carried the fire... Oh, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. I don't know how you carry a fire, to be honest with you. I think they mean the wood, right? You carry a fire? Carried the wood and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? (laughs) Dad, what? Yes, my son, Abraham, replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So how's that for an answer? Where's the lamb? Well, God's going to provide. And this is interesting to me. Like, I don't, I don't really get or really know where Abraham's mind is at. God will provide. So here's what a lot of people think, you know, different ideas. He's expecting to sacrifice his son and then God's going to raise him from the dead. Um, he's expecting that maybe something else will be provided in the middle of it. He's expecting that maybe God will come right then and there and do something like... We're not clear. And I'm, good we're not, I'm glad that we're not. I honestly don't really want to know exactly where his mind is at. All I do want to know is I want to know which is what I see. His faith was, God said to do this. I don't know why, but he told me before what he's going to do. He's, we're doing something ridiculous now, but that doesn't mean the ridiculousness of this cancels out the promise of that. Right? That's what he, that, and that's what I want. Exactly where his mind is, I'll talk to him in heaven about it. That's fine. We can all gather around him and talk to him. We won't be the only ones. But the ridiculousness of what's happening now, a third party now asking, the one that's going to be involved, hey, what are we doing? I don't know, but God's going to make something. He's going to do it. And we will be in season and things like that in life where, well, what are you going to do? I don't know. God will make a way, though. There is a good plan in my life. He told me he's not going to leave me. He told me he'll provide He told me he'll even give me the desires of my heart if I commit myself to him. He's going to do something. I I don't know. I I like his response. Verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. (coughs) He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son's craziness. Craziness, craziness. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Important response. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. A.K.A., we're good with the test now. And I like the reasoning. It says, hey, listen. Something that was extremely important in your life, that even I gave you, you wouldn't even hold that back from me. Now I know I'm truly your God, and now I can do what I promised to do before like, we're, we're in a good place. I want us to be in good places. Because I very much, very much, in my life, Caleb's life, everybody's life in here, I want to see the manifestation of what God had already said is true, what he's already promised. And, you know, if Abraham fails his test, God will bring another test just like it back around again to get at the same issue it's not like God then kicks him to the curb and is like, well, we're done here. He's too loving and too good for that. He'll give him another good, another go around. He could do it again. But my whole thing is, if I don't have to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, if I don't have to do that, I don't want to. I want to respond like to the test and make myself ready as much as I can on a daily basis, not because I'm afraid of the test but because I want to be close and secure to his heart and I'm not worried about what might happen. Abraham wasn't biting his fingernails as far as okay, one's got to bring about the thing to make sure that I pass so he can do what he's going to do. He was already close to us. He so was already a part of who he was and so to have something incredibly ridiculous come into his life, he could flow into it. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, sacrificed as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Say, the Lord will provide. That's what Jehovah Jireh means, the Lord will provide. That's where the phrase comes from. The Lord will provide. Crazy test, ridiculous request. Just nonsensical all the way around and very confusing. The Lord will provide. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Sounds familiar, right? Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. So the source, testing, it's a necessary part why is it necessary? Because we need that testing for God. We need him to bring that about in our lives so that way it reveals who we are and it can help usher in and manifest what he's already promised. So tests are not something to be afraid of or shy away from or just be freaked out about. They really can be something to encourage our heart to say, okay, I know on the other side of this, like, can start to see what he promised back there. Like it'll become reality. So, El Shaddai, Almighty, Most Powerful, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. It doesn't get any more source than that. Right? The Lord will provide. How? I don't know. He's El Shaddai, Most Powerful, Almighty. That's got to be a good answer on most dates, to be honest with you, okay? It's got to be a good enough answer on most days. And I know we get hung up on, well, how? How's that? How this? How that? How? I don't know. Sometimes all you can stand on and all you can say and all you can write on your house and all you can type in your phone, the Lord will provide. He's almighty and powerful. I don't know. That won't give me an excuse not to do anything. I'm still going to keep moving, but I'm standing on that. I'm standing on it. let pass these elements out. Does anyone want to help me out here? Anybody? Doesn't matter? Dineshka? Thank you. Thanks, brother. So hold on to it. We're going to take communion together. on to it. We're going to take it together. (coughs) I want to read one encouragement to you and I want to share one thought as you have it. This is said in Hebrews eleven seventeen. It says, "So the end of the book, the end of the Bible, now tells you this about Abraham was way in the beginning, way at the end of the books, talking about what happened with Abraham way in the beginning." Thank you. It says, "By faith, I would say faith. faith. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son." even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. In other words, the only way Abraham was able to do what he did and respond to the test the way that he did, he was only able to do it because of, F word, yeah. That was the only way. the only way. i got one other thing for you here. So it says in James chapter 1, Blessed is the man or woman who perseveres under trial or testing because when he or she has stood the test, he or she will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Right? Stand under it. Stand under it. Stay in it. Push on. Push on. Much of the Christian life, a lot of times, is a grind. And there's different seasons of different things. Amen to that, and I like those. But a lot of it is a grind. really is. Interesting thought. We said Mount Moriah, correct? That's where he's going to, he you went up on the mountain right there? He's going to offer Isaac? Most Bible commentators, and I think it's pretty much true, Jesus himself, He was on Calvary, right? We're called Calvary Chapel, Nogatuck, right? In Latin, that's the name for the hill where Jesus was crucified. Um, That allegedly is and supposedly is also Mount Moriah. Same exact mountain. Abraham went up with Isaac to pay for the sins of the world. Two very important situations, super similar in nature and not by accident. And so that's why many people believe that Isaac was a type of Christ preceding what was really going to happen later on. So Mount Moriah is a pretty popular spot. And like I said, right now it's it's a mosque there. Um, I wouldn't be too surprised, and I am expecting, that a lot of things will change over there as we get closer to when he comes back. It will change a lot. So God, we thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. We thank you, Father, for the bread of life. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people and a congregation that would feed on the true bread of life. We need to. Like, we need to. We want to walk into what you have for us. We want to be aware of the good plan and good work And we want to minister to those around us and from you. And we can only do that from the bread of life. And so we thank you and so we take and we eat. And Jesus, we thank you for the blood of this new covenant that you poured out for us the test in your life was several different things. Most importantly, it was the cross. Now you act know, in the garden for us on our behalf. You didn't have to. That's the amazing thing. You didn't have to. You chose to. You chose to. And we just want to say thank you. And I pray that when the testing comes in our life, that it would truly reveal what we talk about and what we think about. And so we take and we drink. So let's stand. We're going to close in prayer. So it's going to be reality for us that there's going to be some testing or has been some. We haven't done too well. Good news is God hasn't forgotten about us, hasn't kicked us to the curb, it's not over. Good news is He wants to help us through. It. He's just a great father and good teacher. He's like, hey, listen, here's the test. I want to set you up in every way possible to see you succeed. In a lot of ways, he's gonna say, Listen, I'm gonna be right by you. Just don't leave me when it gets heavy. Don't leave me when it gets crazy. So God, I thank you for the tests. We thank you for the tests. Sounds odd to say, but we can only say that because we know who you are and your nature. Because we could say it in faith, Lord. We thank you for the tests that you will allow into our life, Lord. I pray, Father, that it would reveal a consistency between what we say and what we think. I pray that what we do matches up with what we say and what we think. And if there is inconsistencies there, I thank you that you will show them to us, you'll make it aware to us, not in a condemning way, but in a way to make us aware of what's holding us back. And so I pray for an encouragement of hearts, Lord, who just feel like failures. You define success a completely different way. And I pray that our lives would be very much guilty of drawing from you as the source in every way. Emotionally, mentally, relationally, financially. May you be the true source in our lives. Not something we just say and think, but something we actually do. And we thank you for what you will bring about and make manifest. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys.